Welcome to the Self Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at Self Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, friends. My name's Alex, one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, we're really glad that you are. And first, little personal business. I would like to give a little shout-out on video. Uh, a happy birthday shout-out to my gorgeous little now six-year-old Gigi, Georgiana. Uh, I, yeah, give her a clap on video. She, she was supposed to be here at this service, but I guess they got caught up and they'll be at the next service or something like that. But it happens when you've got three kids. Uh, but she uh, gets to share her birthday with you guys today a little bit. She, uh, it's not always easy. Easy, uh, having a pastor as a father. Occasionally it comes around that your birthday is on a church day and uh, it just feels a little different. And yet she didn't complain once and she is sweet and she is sassy. And if Elena thought she was getting a doormat younger sister, she did not get that in Gigi uh, because she tells you exactly what she wants when she wants it. And so if you see her when you're walking out, give her a happy birthday and she'll be thrilled. Uh, she also asked me to hide presents in the church for her. Um, so if you're feeling, you know, um, mandacious or whatever the word is, then you can go and find some presents and you could take them, but you'd break the heart of a six-year-old child. And I'm sure none of you want to start your new year with anything like that. We are talking about hindsight is 2020. We're unpacking the weird pandemic year that we just or walk through. Now, we're still there, right? We're still walking through how we process everything that's going on in the world around us. But at least this time, we had a little warning. At least this year, we walked into it knowing it was coming. Last year, we were learning as we went along. And it was a year that just took a lot from us to keep going. So as we started to think through teaching series for the start of the year, originally what I wanted to do was this, was just give you uh, some topical, practical things that I thought would help us get through 2020, 2021 in a more positive way than maybe some of us did in 2020. But as, we, as I read this book, Philippians, it just hit me that, that this letter... It's a lockdown letter. It's a letter that could have been written to a group of people just like us. To give you a refresh from, from last week, if you weren't here, this P is where, um, where Philippi is, this town in what is now Greece. And Paul, the guy writing it, he's writing a letter to them to let them know situationally, this is what I think you should do. This is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to learn about Jesus and who he is. Paul is in one of these three places, and he's stuck in a prison cell. He's not going anywhere. He may never get out of prison. He may be locked down forever. His court case may go badly. He may be killed. Maybe he'll be let go, but he's locked up in house arrest. He's separated from those that he loves, and he's living through these crazy, politically volatile times where nobody quite knows what's going to come next. Does it sound like a time that you are familiar with? It probably does. And then this church, Philippi, facing uncertain finances. Not sure where the money is coming from. Experiencing persecution as a group of people. They are not liked, not valued right now. And then they're trying to learn the way of Jesus. There's all of these different things going on. And this letter that was written a couple of thousand years ago could have been written to people just like you and I. And yet the central message in amongst everything going on is this. Because of God's good grace, we can choose joy at all times. Because of God's good grace, we can choose joy at all times. Would you like more joy in 2021 than you had in 2020? Yes. Everyone, I think, whether, whether 2020 was a great year or not, 
you'd still say, yes, more joy is, is something that I'll take. Send me some more joy. And so we wanted to look at these practical principles that we could put into place from this book, Philippians. So last week, we started with the idea of living in gratitude. If we can take gratitude as a focus for this year, that it, it just makes everything better. Now, before we move on, for those of you that like to know where we're going, those of you who like to have a little path ahead, here are our passages for this week. Camera phones at the ready. Write them down. If you've got shorthand, if you have an eidetic memory, then just look at the screen, and you will be fine. Uh, but you have three seconds. One, two, three, and you're done. <laughs> so this year... This week, sorry, not this year, but this year as well. This week, we're going to start somewhere maybe a little unusual because we're not going to start in Philippians. I'd love to give you this passage to start with before we get to Philippians chapter 2 as, as what I'd call an umbrella text for the next two weeks. It, it's got a principle that Jesus teaches that I think will just help us understand what Paul will talk about in Philippians. And Amy just read a passage that's very similar. Uh, here we go. Again, it will be like a man, this is the kingdom of God Jesus is talking about, going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. This guy's doing well. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share with your master's happiness. Notice it doesn't matter how much they were given. It's simply a matter of what they do with what they were given. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came master. He said, I know that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servants. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. This is a parable that Jesus taught. Jesus taught mostly in parables. Parables are stories. The word simply means to throw something alongside. So Jesus would take something that was really well known to the people listening, and he would place it alongside an important spiritual truth, and they would go away. But the parable requires you to work. Because it's very rarely just about the thing that it's talking about. The para Jesus parable is centered around resources, and it's centered around how we invest them wisely. Originally, in the original language, it was called the parable of the talents, or the word talents was used. Now, because of talents, again, you get the confusion in English. People thought it was just about the gifts and abilities that you had, and then other people started to say, well, it's clearly about money. But in actual fact, it's about both. 
Jesus is massively interested, it seems, in how we take the resources that we have given. And what are those resources? You've been given time, you've been given energy, you've been given skills, and you've been given wealth. And he's massively interested, it seems, in how we take those resources that have been given to us and how we use them. We get to invest them wisely. And here's a confession moment. I am a hopeless investor of money. Uh, at the start, in the middle of this year, with a little downtime, a little boredom in terms of the pandemic, I decided I was going to take some of our savings and I was going to begin to invest them in stocks and shares. So I got this little app that you can get on your phone. It's called Robinhood and you get to do it yourself and it doesn't cost anything. So I started to take some money and I started to invest it. And yet, it seems that I'm not very good. There are stocks that I have bought that are now worth half of what they were when I bought them. And I'm still holding out for the fact that, no, it's going to recover, it's going to bounce back. I generally am too cowardly in terms of investing to jump on great opportunities that I think I see, so I just don't. And then I get to watch with deep frustration as a stock that I could have bought for a certain amount of money is now five times what it was when I originally wanted to buy it. I'm not a good investor. I have this cowardly streak, and I'm not always the wisest. Now, fortunately, there's some good news here, because I am not allowed by my wife uh, or by my good conscience to manage most of our money. There's a retirement fund that I'm slowly putting money into, and there are people that apparently are much better at this than I am, because that seems to go up consistently, whereas mine seems to hover somewhere around this flat or red line. There's wise people that get to invest my earthly resources for the future. Now, that's good news, but, but here's the bad news. For most of the resources God has given you, for your time, for your energy, for your giftings, and even for the most part for your money, other than just putting it away for retirement, no one can manage your resources for you. That's on you. People can give you advice. People can give you wisdom. But in actual fact, you have to learn to manage them yourself. God gave them to you and said, do something with them. Don't bury them in the ground. Putting stuff aside, hiding it away, very rarely seems to work. I remember as a child deciding if I ever got sent to my room, which happened periodically just as a punishment, I would hide some food in my room. I'd just take some different food that I would have during the day and I'd just hide it under the bed and just keep it there for such a rainy day as punishment day. And yet when I came back to it, it was never good covered in mold, covered, gone stale, all those different things. Typical teenager's room, right? Uh, but that's a principle. You have gifts, you have things to invest, and yet you have to learn to do it yourself. I have to learn to do it ourselves. So that's a blanket thing, a principle for the next two weeks. As we move into Philippians, you'll see, hold that intention for a while, just hold it there, thinking about how you might learn to invest things, and then let's move on. Last week, we talked about live in gratitude. Let's see what Paul has for this church in Philippi and for us this week. This is chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in, humi in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests 
of the others. And we'll move on to verse 5 in a little while, but let's stop there, because man, that's a dense, rich passage. Let's focus for a second on this. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing. Paul lands in the second part of Philippians on this word, koinonia. He's going to talk to us about community. The word at its heart has this sense of what is shared in common. He has a group of people in this church in Philippi, and he wants them to know you are a group of people called together. You are a community of people. Think about them for a second. We talked about how they were trying to learn the way of Jesus, but you might add they are trying to learn the way of Jesus as a community of people. Doesn't that make it a little more complicated? I actually sometimes wonder, is it easier to try and follow Jesus stuck in a room by yourself? There's no one to rub you up the wrong way. There's no one to knock off your edges. There's no one to irritate you. You're just there and it's you and Jesus and he's perfect and you're not, but, but that seems okay. And yet God called us to follow him in community. This is a group of people trying to do that together. Paul is deeply concerned about their health of their community. It seems that, that when you read what he writes, they live and die by community. I would just start here. If you're uncertain about following Jesus, if you're watching online, if you're just jumping into church for the first time, outside of following Jesus, I would say just this broadly speaking, community is a good thing. Community is good. This is a small town in Pennsylvania. It's called Rosetto. In the mid sort of like 2000s, they started to do scientific research into this town because they couldn't understand why nobody died of heart problems in Rosetto. There were not a single case of a man under 55 having a heart attack. There was no heart disease in anyone under the age of 65. They just couldn't understand why this town was different to every other town around it. And then they started to do some history, some sort of searching back, and they found that almost every person, every family came from this town back in Italy. They had been in community for years together. And when you went to Rosetto and walked down the streets of this small Pennsylvania town that looked like just all the others, there was something different. People lived in multi-generational homes. People would stop and talk to each other on the streets. People would check in on each other. There was this community spirit that was thriving in Rosetto that wasn't in the other towns around it. And when they looked, there was no difference in diet. In actual fact, this group of people, their diet had changed remarkably from moving from the Mediterranean to America. It had got worse by all scientific standards, and yet something about this community was thriving Community for them was good. And even outside of the Jesus story, we see this principle in the Bible. This is a book, Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has nobody to help them. Just as this broad principle, it seems like community is good. So as a principle from Philippians, even outside of following Jesus, I would say do this in 2021. Choose to gather where it's approved by the government. Of course, now that's a joke. Where it's, <laughs> shouldn't go there. Where it's approved, or where it's, sorry, where it's healthy. You've got to be wise in this time, but think about that. Think about how you can choose to gather, even when it's not as easy as it used to be. It seems like community and gathering is what we as human beings are made for. Community, it is good. But I'd like to nudge that a little bit further. We'll get to the Jesus story in a couple of minutes. But even outside of that, again, faith community, it seems like, 
is a good, healthy thing. Faith-centered community is better. There's all this research that's been done into these fascinating parts all over the globe. These are the five blue zones. There's one in California, one in Costa Rica, one in Italy, one in Greece, one in Japan. And these are areas where people live to around 100 years regularly, and they do it in good health. Now, they have good diets, the sunshine, all those different things, but one of the things they couldn't ignore was this. Every single one of them has strong faith communities at the heart of everything that happens there. This was a piece of research that Gallup did recently. They asked people, how is your mental state in 2020 versus 2019? Talk to us about how you feel, talk to us about your emotions, talk to us about depression, all those different things. And across the board, everything was down. Male down 8%, 8 points. Female down 10 points. Republican down 15 points. Independent down 11 points. Democrat down 1 points. White down 10 points. Non-white down 8 points. The only thing that seemed to change that was this. If you said you attended a weekly religious service, your mental state had improved even in the midst of pandemic, even in the midst of all of the craziness, it seemed like something had gotten better. You were able to process everything going on better than if you didn't. Community is good. Faith community is even better. But you know where I'm going with this for those of you that have been following church for a while. Because my nudge now is, I would suggest that Jesus-centered community is different to all of those other communities. There's something about a community that's following Jesus together that is best, if you would like to put it that way. But my question is this, well, what is different about Jesus-centered community? Because firstly, most of us that have been around church for a while have probably seen ways where we've seen the Jesus-centered community be really toxic, or at least a community that claimed to be Jesus-centered be really toxic. We've probably been through experiences where we've been like, oh, the church does not seem like it's functioning as it's supposed to. This seems to be kind of broken, kind of messy. And yet the, the narrative of the Bible as we read through these different writers is that, no, this story is the significant story and this is the type of community that you're supposed to tap into. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's not just talking about any other type of community. If any common sharing, koinonia, in the spirit... He's talking about koinonia pneumatos, community of the spirit, if you want to write that down. The, the what that we're talking about is that's shared in common is spirit. This is a community united by the fact that they have this common experience of this spirit of God that lives within them. This is a Jesus-centered community empowered by Anne, that's not right, ah, I'll definitely get an email about my poor grammar there, a shared experience of the Spirit. That is what this community that Paul is writing to is centered on. And then look at how that sort of affects their behavior. As we move on, shared in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. There's something about this community that shapes them in a very particular 
way. Now, just a little bit before we move on there about what it is exactly to understand, how we might understand this idea of being a community centered around the Spirit. This Jesus community that we're reading about comes from another community. So Paul, think about this. He always has this in mind. And this community that this community comes from is a community shaped by law. All of the Jesus story comes from this old, old Jewish story. And all of the oldest Christian communities were Jews who had chosen to follow Jesus. Now, their understanding of identity was centered around everything that was external. It was what you did. It was laws that you had put in place. It was, Yvonne talked to us about circumcision, and I think we only need one sermon on circumcision for the next year, and so we'll leave it there. But there were these markers that said, this is how you identify someone who is part of this community. So a way to understand this is like the school spirit idea. So I brought this with me. I was going to wear a soccer shirt, but it was a bit cold. Uh, I was a coach in uh, Michigan for a while, and, and so I was given like all these school spirit jackets and stuff like that. Uh, and this, on the external level, was your identity. You got to see which team you were on based on the shirt or the item of clothing that you were wearing. But think about that process for a second. For the first year that I was coaching, I actually didn't really want to be there. The only reason I'd signed up was because I thought it might be good for my real sort of passion, which was helping people to follow Jesus. So I thought if I coach soccer, I'll get to meet all these students that are not following Jesus and I'll be able to have an influence on them and I'll be able to lead them down that journey. So every time we sort of played soccer, I was kind of indifferent to the result on the field. Now that would change eventually, but even when we got towards the playoffs, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of done here. This is getting cold. It was in now November in Michigan time. It's freezing at this point. I'm stood there shuddering on the, the sidelines. And there's a big part of me that's like, if you guys could just lose, then I wouldn't have to come out in the cold again. And my days would qualitatively improve. Uh, and so that was the first year. And then as the thing started to get hold of me, as the passion started to increase, all of that changed. I was willing to stand out in the coldest weather with the hope. And we, we got pretty good. We won, a couple of, we won a state championship, went to a couple of finals, and it was a fun thing to be involved in. But do you see the change there? There was a, a change from the external thing. I was always wearing all of the gear to something that began to happen inside of me where I actually genuinely got this go chief's mentality that was actually really important. There's external and there's internal. For years and years and years, religion had been defined by what was on the outside. 617 laws to obey, circumcision process to go through. People knew who was in and who was out by everything that was on the outside. But if you didn't change on the inside, nobody really knew. You could just go through the motions and it was fine. What changes with this Jesus-centered community is suddenly the outside. It's important. There are markers. There are things that you can tell. There's a way of Jesus that you can see outside, but it's all driven by something that's changed inside. It's all changed there. It all begins there. It's this transformation process, this idea of metamorphosis. It is as spectacular as a cocoon turning into a butterfly, a caterpillar's process of breaking down its body. And, and it's as spectacular as that. There is something that has changed. In the moment that you chose to follow Jesus, we're told that you move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now, all the outward process, it takes a while. It's going to be shaped over years and years and years, but it began internally. It didn't begin externally. 
That's what Paul sees this community as being shaped at. And because of that, they can be centered around we before me, not just me before we. There's this community attitude there that is about the other that is just so important. And then he goes on to unpack this fascinating hymn that most people that read this think that this was something that communities of Christians would have got together and sung together years and years ago. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This is what this community is centered on. It's centered around a genuine willingness to put others before yourself. And he takes as his example the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, he did that. Someone said to me once, the reason they chose to follow Jesus was this. The story was upside down. It didn't make sense. Every other story was about God's seeking honor, God's wanting to be above everyone else. And the Jesus story was the one that was different. It was the one that said, I'm going to make myself lower. What a fascinating reason to choose to follow Jesus. And, and this was his incredible way of phrasing it. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the shaping of Paul's Jesus-centered community. But then he'll go on to say something else, something that speaks to what our role might be and helps us get back to that earlier question of how do we choose to invest the resources God has given us. This is Romans chapter 12. In this way, we are like various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. Participation in Jesus-centered community requires contribution, not just consumption. You have something to bring. Paul's language of the body is, is fascinating. He talks about the fact that you may think of yourself as just a toe, but if you've ever lived with a broken little toe, you know just how difficult and painful life is for a while. There's something that you have that is essential. And if you come just to consume, that's fine for a time, but you're missing some of the point. It's about contribution, not consumption. This is Burning Man Festival. I'm sure that none of you have ever been, and if you went, you'd probably feel deeply uncomfortable. It's this festival that's held out in the desert every year, and the craziest stuff happens. I would not recommend you going. I would not recommend you just Googling images from Burning Man or anything like that, because you'll be in dangerous territory, but I would love you to read their mission statement, because I read it, and it just... It blew me away. This is how they see community. You participate here, you belong here, and you participate. You're not the weirdest kid in the classroom. You are here to build a community that needs you and relies on you. And I read it, and I was like, they stole our idea. Like, that's what the church is supposed to be about, and they just stole it and took God out of it. Which, again, they can do what they want, that's fine, but I'm like, that's what we're supposed to be about. That's our idea. 
The idea that you come and you participate, that it doesn't matter if you feel like the weirdest kid in the room, the fact that you're needed here, this is a community that relies on you. Now, that's what we're supposed to be like, but I guess my question is, is it? Because I think churches have a tendency very quickly to move to this idea of, well, the pastor's important. The worship leader is important. The, the guy running sound, Eric, thank you, is important. All of those, those things, the things that we see are important. And yet, the, the story that Paul would give us, the construction that he would give us is, no, it doesn't matter. You can be as insignificant as you think, but, but you're not. This is a community that needs you and relies on you. That's life-changing language. You are wanted here and you are needed here. And so what do you do when you feel like communities aren't shaped in that Jesus way? What do you do when you walk into a community and you're like, I see lots of flaws. And, and if you're new to South, you will see some flaws, some flaws that some of us that have been longer here longer will, will kind of stop, stop noticing them after a while. Well, I think you get to ask yourself this really important question. Am I a thermostat or am I a thermometer? See, my tendency is to go places, and, and if I'm not careful, I, I tend to think that I'm there to be a thermometer. I'm there to take the temperature, to check how everything is going, to see if it's all good. And yet, it took me a while to realize, well, actually, God called me to be a thermostat. When I saw a community that wasn't functioning well, that wasn't up to the right temperature, I was there to help change that. There's this wonderful story about a, a, an organist called Billy Preston, one of the great organists of all time, just incredible player, he used to play the Hammond organ for so many different people. And he's one of the few people to be credited on an album with the Beatles. It just didn't usually happen. The Beatles did their own thing. And, and yet Billy Preston is. But more than that, Billy Preston saved the Beatles, at least for a couple of years. In about 68, things were so bad between these famous four musicians that they were considering splitting up. And in the middle of a big blowout in a recording session, George Harrison walks out the building. He says, I'm done with you guys. And he goes off to a club to have a drink and to calm down. And he runs into Billy Preston, who he's been friends with for some years. And Billy and him get talking. And he says, do you know what? Come back to the studio with me and hang out with the guys for a little bit. And the story about Billy Preston is this. Not only was he an incredibly talented musician, but he was just the most gregarious person you could imagine. He brought joy into a room just by who he was. And just being with him as a fivesome now instead of a foursome just changed everything. Again, at least for a couple of years. So much so that they, beginning, they began to talk about adding him to the Beatles. He was going to become the fifth Beatle, but there was something about Billy Preston. He was, he was a thermostat, not a thermometer. He walked in and he changed the temperature of the room. Paul will spend time in Philippians outlining what a real Jesus-centered community looks like. It's a community that's structured around we before me, not me before we. It's a community that's about contribution and not just consumption. And yet our tendency, I think, as followers of Jesus in the West in 2021 is this. We go to places and we say, is this going to give me what I need? I would suggest that isn't the question that we're called to ask. The question we're called to ask is, what can I bring and what can I give? You're called to be a thermometer, a thermostat, not a thermometer. 
And so I'd love to close us. I'm going to invite Aaron and the team to come back up on stage. And I'd love to, con- to, to close us by getting you to ask a couple of questions. If you're not following Jesus right now, or you're on the fringes, or you're uncertain about what faith looks like for you, here's a great question you can ask. How will you choose, or how will I choose from your perspective? How will you choose community this year? How will you choose to build community that that can do that Ecclesiastes thing? When you fall down, it will pick you back up. How can you choose to enter into a life that is better because you have community around you? Where will you find it? And if you've decided that South is a place that you want to be, if it's a place where you feel happy with what you get to consume, but you don't find a space yet to contribute, my question for you is this. What is your part to play on the journey for South? You have all these gifts, all these resources that God has given you. You get to choose to invest them wisely. How is God calling you to invest this year? If you want options, I could give you loads. We have welcome teams that need new people, and you get to stand on the door and smile and be friendly. And because you're wearing a mask, no one will even know if you're smiling or not. So if smiling is beyond you, you get a pass on that one for a while as well. We have a children's ministry that is starting back up that it just is, is a gift of an opportunity. I, when I used to run youth ministries, I always used to say to people this, do you realize the privilege I'm giving you? I wouldn't let just anybody do this. In having you do this, I'm giving you the possibility that in years, in the future, God, people will come to you and say, do you realize you were the reason I first took my first steps following Jesus? The same is true of kids' ministry. There are opportunities galore but you are called to contribute, not just to consume. What is your part to play on the journey of South in 2021? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are present. Thank you for a community that is centered around you. Community is good, faith communities are better, but a community centered around you is best. God, we have seen the ways that the church appears broken at times. Help us to be a healthy community. We thank you for Paul's care for this church that he's distant from. He's deeply passionate that they follow you in healthy community. Help us to do the same. Help us to take the same attitude of Jesus. Help us to take that attitude where we put others before ourselves. Help us to center ourselves around we before me. Help us to contribute, not just consume. Where we're unsure of what our giftings are, may we take journeys of discovery this year. May we find out where we are called. May we step in and try new things. Thank you that you've been present with us as we've sung and learned. And that's the most important thing. You present amongst your people. Amen. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks for listening, South family. Have a great rest of your day.